Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Warlord Games official podcast. My name is Brad, and this is the podcast that digs into some of the fantastic games and releases that Warlord Games puts out for us to play and enjoy. Now, we have had a plethora of uh, requests for more bolt action content on the show. I know we have done some bolt action content recently, but given that we are now getting a new starter set for bolt action, and given how many requests I've gotten in the past to talk about the first starter set, Band of Brothers, and how to add to it if you're a beginning bolt action player, we thought it would be a wonderful time to talk about A Gentleman's War, the new bolt action uh, starter box set uh, showcasing the Desert War. And we will talk a lot more about that in a minute. But specifically, we're going to talk about the Desert War, some of the cool vehicles and units that appeared there, and how you can add to those or incorporate some of those in your forces to really bring your bolt action army to life, and also in a way that is effective on the tabletop if you are wanting to learn the game of bolt action or expand into a new army. Joining me today is a very special guest who I've never had the pleasure of speaking to before, but he is one of the TOs for Adepticon. Now, if you don't know that, Adepticon is a massive game convention in the United States, uh, and it happens every year, and they have huge numbers of players. Now, there are lots of bolt-action events at Adepticon, plus lots of other game systems, but what makes Adepticon really cool for bolt-action is that they run a combat patrol, which is small-scale bolt-action event, then they run a doubles fun event, and then there is the big U.S. Nationals, uh, more competitive bolt action singles events. Now, joining me today is the tournament organizer for the doubles and the combat patrol event. Andrew has been a part of the Chicago Dice blog, and he's been an active part of the Adepticon bolt action event for quite a while. And I'm so excited to have him on, particularly because there was a desert theme to Adepticon not too long ago that we're going to talk about, which makes him the perfect guest for today. Andrew, welcome to the Warlord Games podcast. Brad, it is wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, longtime listener, first time caller. Really excited to, to get involved here. <laughs> Love it. Um, now, I mentioned a second ago that a couple of years ago, you guys at Adepticon leaned heavily into theming lists for the event. And particularly, you encouraged people to bring Desert War lists. Can you talk to us about that? Because that sounds awesome. You are absolutely right. And it really was awesome. So back in Adepticon 2019, happens every year in March. And for that year, uh, myself and the other TOs, we pushed and encouraged our players to go for Duel in the Sun. We wanted as many people as we could get to bring North Africa-themed forces. And if you did, we would do everything in our power as TOs to give you a themed table, a North Africa table, and to give you a themed opponent. Again, it was not required. Just very, very heavily encouraged. We referred to people as hobby heroes and hobby champions. If they did bring North Africa, we took uh, scores between all the ally players and all the Axis players, we declared one side the victor at the end of it. And we got such a great reception that we planned on doing a similar thing again for Adepticon 2020. Unfortunately, that event didn't happen. 
Adepticon mm-hmm. 2021 didn't happen either. But Adepticon 2022, just this past March, about six months ago, we did uh, completely unthemed just to give folks, you know, a chance to get their feet back under them. And then I am happy to announce that back for Adepticon 2023 in March will be the Rising Tide Early War 1940 and 1939. Again, not required, highly encouraged, and we're already getting great, great enthusiasm for that. Now, for the Desert War event in 2019, what kind of buy-in did you get? We were thrilled that we had about half. And for Combat oh, Patrol, we for Combat Patrol we had 30 players. For doubles, we had 24 teams. And for about half of each event, so, uh, someone brought a North Africa desert-themed army. That's awesome. So that's almost 50 players, and half of them brought desert-themed armies for this. That is so cool, man. So you would be a great guest because you've spent a lot of time looking at desert lists and thinking about desert conflicts in general. Now, do you own a desert army in particular? Because I've had several and I'm sure I'll mention them on this show. Uh, What is your past with the desert conflict? My past with the desert conflict, and I'm looking over my shoulder right now uh, at them proudly displayed on my display case, but it is a Italian colonial army i've got calvary i've got Ascari. i've got those uh early war tanks a couple of the early war armored cars and mm-hmm. without question brad that army is my pride and joy and no one ever that. knows no one ever knows what to do when i set it up on the table uh because it's a combination of veteran cavalry and inexperienced colonial infantry uh and mm-hmm. it is just an absolute blast to play yeah, that's awesome. Have you seen the new, uh, or should I say, the upcoming Ascari models that Warlord are putting out, the metal ones? They look outstanding. They they really do. Uh, I'm going to have to get another squad of those. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. if I need another squad, but I, I mean, who am I talking to? I do need another squad. You're absolutely right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I definitely don't need another squad, but I need another squad, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yes. Well, let's let's jump into these starter boxes. For those of us who have come along in the last five or six years and you've joined the Bolt Action community, many of you have been aware of the starter box sets. Of course, the one that everyone is familiar with is the Band of Brothers, which is themed after the very famous television show and uh, Normandy, right? So with that, we have the U.S. Airborne and the German Panzergrenadiers. Now, that was a great start for um, new players, given that it is a super popular part of World War II that everyone is aware of. It is a great footnote as far as, you know, if you're looking to, to storm the beaches into bolt action, this is not a bad place to start. That said, it is a little prescriptive in that it had, uh, what, four sprues of U.S. Airborne, it had two sprues of German Panzer Grenadiers and a half track. Now, what was great about that is that you can use those a number of ways. However, adding to that box, depending on which force you had, was sometimes, you know, you were wondering which way you could go because you could go a lot of different ways. And that's one of the appeals of the box, right? It's versatile. It works. But then as we move forward into the second box, we had Island Assault. Now, this is a wonderful box set. And it brought us into the Pacific, which is something that, depending on where you are in the world, isn't always 
seen on a lot of bolt action tabletops. You got to see the Imperial Japanese Army versus the U.S. Marines. And again, a nice smattering of troops in there that allowed you to take some different themed forces was, again, very cool. But A Gentleman's War, I think, is the best starter box, bar none, so far. And I am a little biased because I love the Desert War, but it has all of the tools that you need to get started, and you can build on it beautifully. Andrew, what are your thoughts? I completely agree. I think that A Gentleman's War gives you a full bolt-action experience and gives you the feeling of commanding a full bolt-action army right out of the box. And we're yeah. going to talk quite a bit about the various mm-hmm. ways you can expand on that, but right with Gentleman's War, you take that lid off, it's two full forces for two players. And yeah. it's just incredibly exciting to see they're both themed to fight against each other. All the bits, all the sprues in there are lovely. We've got two new mm-hmm. plastic armored cars in there. Like, yes, it's so awesome to see. Very iconic, very thematic. I completely agree with you. It's the best two-player starter box. And if you are new to Bolt Action, I couldn't recommend a Gentleman's War more. Like, it's amazing. What are you waiting for? This is the one you want. Exactly. And, you know, Warlord's been really good in recent years in particular with adding some of the small teams into these plastic boxes. So with this, there is no exception to that because both the British 8th Army Sprues and the German DAC Sprues have anti-tank rifles. They have light mortars. There are LMGs that you can add, obviously, for both, but the Germans actually have an entry that allows you to take them as an independent LMG team. You can obviously make snipers out of that box. People always sort of forget that a sniper is just a dude with a rifle, and you can do that using these plastics. Um, you can also create a lieutenant, given some of the hats and gear that come with these. Although, if you want to jazz things up with uh, a metal character, I'm sure we'll get to that in a minute. But I really want to draw a giant underline under the armored cars that you talked about. I mean, the triple two slash two two three armored car in the DAC is an awesome armored car. I run triple twos in a lot of my German lists and the ability to build it as both the wheeled autocannon having open topped armored car, which again, we'll talk about more in a second versus the command car, the 223, which is less armed, but is um, better for, you know, maybe if you want to run a command vehicle in the desert of using uh, tank war rules. That's a great place to start. And then on the mm-hmm. other side, you have the Humber Mark II slash four. Again, it's the Humber Mark II or the four. You can build it one of two ways. If you want the auto cannon, great. If you want the anti-tank gun, great. So much versatility. And not to mention, I mean, with the British in particular, you can, there's so many head options on those sprues. You it's can incredible. use them to make, Traditional British, Scottish, but my personal favorite, the Indian forces as well. And we'll talk about that at length. Sorry, go ahead. No, uh, again, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I'm really happy that you touched on the plastic special weapons teams, which we've been seeing more and more of. Just gives you more options to with that starter box. You don't have to only run infantry squads. You can get that special weapon support. 
and then to switch back on those eighth army sprues you can run your regular old british you can run indian army and you can run scottish and if you're going to pull in and we'll talk about this more bad if you're going to pull in some campaign books either campaign mm-hmm. the western desert uh campaign italy soft underbelly playing as an indian army or a scottish army it's like an entirely new and different experience. It can only be cosmetic if you want it to be, or you can use some completely different rules. So it's, again, it's really exciting that it's a two-player starter box kind of targeted at beginners, and you are already opening yourself up to so many options. And it's a great box if you want to split it with a friend, if you're both getting into bolt action and you want to build up over time. If you get this box, you have 24 infantry on each side, which you can divide a number of ways into a couple of smaller squads or two to three big squads that you can still have your lieutenant. You can still have some small teams and you have an armor car on either side. You can get this box divided out and have some great games bolt action right off the bat. And then as you add to things slowly, it isn't a big deal just to throw some of the things that we're talking about in here to bulk out those forces and to make them work outside of combat patrol into uh, larger bolt action games. No, uh, I absolutely agree. Um, As someone who has played a lot of combat patrol, 450 points, 500 points, and someone who has Mm -hmm. run multiple combat patrol sized events, the forces you can build out of a gentleman's war are 500 points, 450 points easy. And you don't mm-hmm. have to do anything else. And those are forces that I would happily put on the table. Mm-hmm. It's just really, it's really cool to see all these options you have. You can keep it relatively bog standard, or you do something like Indian Army, and you can really get thematic with it. And that's before we've even added anything to this starter box. And exactly. one, one thing that I did want to touch on, sort of unlike Band of Brothers and Island Assault, if you wanted to with a gentleman's war, you can build that eighth army and DAC force to be almost exact mirror matches of one another. Mm-hmm. Now for a lot of more experienced players that may not sound all that exciting, but if you're a new player, you got you and your friend and you're trying to learn this game and you've never, you got no experience at all playing two forces that look the same contain very similar units that can really lower that barrier of entry and just make it mm-hmm. easier to get your feet under you. And again, I just think that's awesome that you have that option. Exactly. And it helps you to learn bolt action, as you said, because a rifleman's a rifleman's a rifleman, no matter exactly. what army you're using. Exactly. And there are, as you mentioned, several sets of British national rules you can use for these. But if you're using the standard British army and you're using the standard German forces here, you are going to get a balanced game out of this box so it's great for beginners so many times when you are setting up against someone and you're first learning a game you're not exactly sure of what's what on the tabletop and the fact that you can coach each other along because you both have similar forces is huge not to mention you really do get some valuable tools in there because sometimes you know depending on the game system warlord's pretty good about not doing this But in other companies, if you get an army box for something, sometimes you end up with some things that you just go, I'm never going to use this. What I love about this box is you're going to use everything in this box. And I mean everything. I would be hard-pressed not to include a Humber and not to include a triple two 
slash all of the basic infantry. Again, I think this is a wonderful place to start. But let's stop singing the praises. Um, <laughs> Andrew, if you want to go whole hog, you want to go crazy, what's the first thing that you could add to this box to go big and go home with massive bolt action armies? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like a one-click bundle, but just grab either the Africa Corps starter army or the 8th Army starter army, and those mm -hmm. are perfect additions to Gentleman's War. It is just more of what you already have with extra vehicles, extra pieces mm -hmm. of artillery, extra weapons teams. Um, if you just wanted to take you know, the path of least resistance, and I love what I'm looking at with Gentleman's War, just give me more of it. You can mm -hmm. just grab, grab one of those starter armies. Yeah, man. Exactly, right? And you'll have, what, over 1,500 points per side easy, depending on veterancy of troops. Yeah. It gives yeah. you a lot of choice on what you can put on the table for a 1,000-point game. If I mean, a lot of places, 1,200-point, 1,250-point games are normal now. So if you just picked up that starter army box and your half of a gentleman's war, man, you're going to be you're going to be laughing. Yeah, you will be in phenomenal shape. And as you mentioned, you're going to have more than enough toys in those two mm -hmm. boxes to pick and choose what you need for a thousand points. And you could absolutely put 1500 points on the table with just those two items. Mm hmm. Well, let's talk about if you don't want to go whole hog, let's say you are building specifically for a thousand points. You're starting out, you've, you've gotten a gentleman's war and you want to add to it. Now, the desert war is famous for being unlike a lot of other World War II theaters. You see some iconic vehicles. You see some legendary infantry units. You see all sorts of particular elements to World War II that if you grew up watching TV shows like The Rat Patrol or reading SAS comics, you would be familiar with that don't appear anywhere else. So let's talk a little bit about what you could add to the British side. Now, this isn't an all-exhaustive list. There are tons of elements to the Desert War, and there were many different time periods and battles that took place in many different places of North Africa over time. So again, we're, we're sort of going broadly here. We assume when we're saying these things, by the way, and this is a disclaimer, that if you are probably picking up bolt action for the first time, or this is perhaps your second army, you might want something that's vaguely historically accurate in that you don't want to show up with like a tiger two in the desert because that never happened. But you do generally want, you know, some things that were actually there. You want forces that are properly themed, but also you want something that works on the tabletop. And it doesn't necessarily have to be this unit on this day in this conflict did and had this. So we're speaking generally here. But starting with that, we're going to go back and forth because we both have items that we want to add to the British box that will take you in slightly different directions. But here's some food for thought. Andrew, what is your first add to the British box? By the way, I highly recommend this as one of your first buys as well. Hit me, my good man. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of a, you can never leave home without it if you are mm -hmm. playing the British in any context, any theater, really any year of the conflict. It's the 25-pounder. The British light artillery 
It stands above every other nation's light artillery for a couple of key reasons. One, it's versatile. It has the option to fire as either a light howitzer or a light AT gun. Mm-hmm. Most of the other nations, they don't have that choice. They're always going to fire as a light howitzer. And unlike most other nations' light artillery, you can add a spotter. So you can hide your light artillery behind some woods, behind a dune, behind a house, and put that spotter somewhere and fire indirectly without having to put your your gun within the line of fire. It's something that I really can't imagine building a British force without one. And I I assume you feel uh, similar to me about that one, Brad. Oh, yeah, 100%. It is a wonderful ad, uh, particularly if you're a newer player because it has that versatility. You know, sometimes when you are playing games of bolt action, you'll think, God, I really wish I brought the AT gun today instead of the howitzer, or God, I really wish I brought the howitzer instead of the AT gun. And this means that you can use it either way. My DAC force had a Pac-36 light AT gun, but I played uh, the British version of that gun first. And the number of times, because I was playing with desert forces, I was like, oh God, yeah, my, I can fire that as a, oh no, I can't fire that as a <laughs> artillery piece. It is a wonderfully versatile gun and you can use it in a ton of different situations. And as you say, it has the spotter. So you can fire it indirectly uh, in that moment of, oh, I don't have anything I can actually shoot at right now. Boom, now I can. So it again, it keeps it in the fight and it is a wonderful ad and it is not expensive. It's it's very cheap point wise. And I, I again, I just can't imagine taking a British force without one. I, I would also be remiss, Brad, if I didn't mention the specific 8th Army version. That mm-hmm. model kit comes with the shirtless artillery crew. And if yes. you're talking desert, if you're talking iconic units, it sun's mm-hmm. out, guns out. You need your shirtless artillery crew for for you your do. your North Africa force. And Warlord does have a nice little package deal, so you can get the twenty five pounder with that crew that you're talking about, and the Morris tractor to tow it. Now you don't need the tractor to tow it on the bolt action tabletop. Just rules wise, uh, new guys, um, you can just wheel it by pushing it around um, Be- because, because it's a light, it's a light gun. Yep, yeah, yep. it's not a it's not a heavy gun. However, the Morris looks awesome. Yes, it and does. it is it is a cheap order dice in case you are trying to pad it out. Uh, in case you've taken a lot of elite stuff, it is it is not bad. I definitely have been fighting the urge to add a Morris to my force simply because it is so wacky looking that I need one. Uh, and Warlord has a nice package on their website. Uh, but let's talk tanks. Uh, or vehicles, I should say, because one of the elements that is so integral to the Desert War, because it was such a hostile environment, it was basically a moonscape in a lot of cases of rock and rolling hills and sand, that vehicles became a huge part of the conflict. And tanks, mobile artillery, trucks, these are all huge parts of the Desert War for both sides. So let's start with the British. Now, I I think you're going to go with uh, one of the more competitive options to start with, my good man. Talk to us about the M3 Lee. Oh, no, not the M3 Lee, the M3 Stewart. Well, I I love them both, uh, but I'm going to leave the the Lee for you, Brad. The M3 Stewart, 
Really iconic desert tank. I actually believe the Warlord box has the desert version in the fantastic artwork on the mm-hmm. on the front cover, so you really know what you're getting. Uh, it's a light tank, so we got armor eight. Comes with a light AT gun, coax, and hull mount MMGs. You also mm-hmm. have the option to add a pintle and two additional hull MMGs, or sorry, hull LMGs. So you can put a ton of machine guns on this thing if you want to. I would have to I would have to double check to see if you can do those additional guns in the desert, but it is an option. However, all this does come at a cost. This armor eight vehicle is vulnerable, so it takes an extra plus one pin, or sorry, plus one mm-hmm. pen when it gets shot at in the sides. And we know that your opponent, these German Africa Corps forces, they have anti-tank rifles. So a single shot from an anti-tank rifle in the side. Can sort of ruin this thing's day it's a bit it of a can. glass it's a bit of a glass cannon but again you paint that desert dazzle uh blue and tan camo scheme mm-hmm. on this and it looks right at home with an eighth army force exactly now if you do add those two additional hull lmgs and i'm not i don't think those actually appeared in the desert but i if, don't think if, they did either but if they did just be prepared you may not be people's best friend after that um however the stewart <laughs> the m3 stewart you know with two hull lmg or sorry mmgs and the the coax with the light at gun in the turret is iconic it is absolutely desert war all the way through and something that should be mentioned as well is the m3 can also be used as the recce version now you can't give a recce to this tank in the british list However, there is a recce option. Um, it is it is a separate entry, and what it is is you it loses its turret, so it no longer has the AT gun. It no longer has the coax. It does, however, have a pintle mounted HMG, and it gains recce. It is a really cool version of the iconic Stuart tank, and it was used by British forces in the desert. In fact. I am holding a box of M3 Stewarts. Hold on, I'm going to shake it. And I am going to be using those to make recce Stewarts because they look so cool that I just couldn't not use them for this. Let, let's talk about some of the other resin vehicles that you can get from Warlord before I get to my league. Yeah, so the Crusader Mark I, this is the A15 Crusader. It's another light tank. It's 135 points regular and similar armament to your Stuart, light AT gun, coax MMG, and it's got a, a hull turret MMG. So that front that front MMG, you can get a little bit more line of sight, a little bit more arc of fire than you could with the standard hull mount. It also has the option for the exact same points to be a Crusader CS, a Crusader close support. And all that does is swap out your light AT gun for a light howitzer. So depending on the other units you have, if you're bringing artillery, if you're bringing anti-tank rifles, maybe you don't need another light AT gun. Maybe you want another two-inch template. It's absolutely something to, to think about. Then there's also the Crusader Mark II. It's essentially the same tank. It's 10 points cheaper, and it doesn't have the hull MMG. And I feel like we keep saying this, but it is another iconic desert vehicle. You like yeah. all the photos are out there of these these tanks all in lines rolling across the dunes. They're very like low to the ground, kind of angular. 
it's almost like an opposite of a Sherman, which is really tall and round. These ones are short and wide and angular. And again, it's just a very cool British tank that you don't normally see on the table and it would be perfect for an expansion to the, the Gentleman's War. Exactly, right? Well, let's talk about the Queen of the Desert, shall we? Oh, yes, yeah. So the Matilda, also known as the Queen of the Desert, this is your quote-unquote heavy tank. But if you're playing sort of thematic North Africa games, having a medium tank with armor nine, that is going to be a problem for your opponent. Most of the time, they're not expecting armor nine when you're playing 1941, 1942 games. It does have a light AT gun, can also be a light howitzer on the turret. You can swap those out, pick whichever one you'd like, and you got your coax MMG. Unfortunately, your armor nine does come at a cost. The tank is slow, so it's going to move pretty slowly through all your awesome desert terrain but it can take a punch much better than most of the other armored vehicles you're going to see out there. Absolutely. And while we're talking armor nine and my personal favorite, let's talk about the M three Lee. Now the British did use the Lee and the grant. They were part of the Lendlease program, just like the Stuart. Um, and this is, oh, it's the M three Lee in particular is my fave. It was called the cathedral by some uh, troops because it was so tall which isn't exactly great in uh, the desert. However, 210 points regular. It is a nine plus medium tank as far as armor goes. It has a hull mounted 75 millimeter medium AT gun, which has the bonus HE rule that the Sherman has in its turret gun. It then has, that's just its hull mounted forward facing gun. It then has a turret. And in that turret is a light AT gun with a coax medium machine gun. And then if you like turrets, we're going to add another one on top of that. We have a Capula with a bonus medium machine gun and a 360 degree arc of fire on top of that. This vehicle is what we like to call in the industry a pin sprinkler. You have three weapon systems that can be pointed in three separate directions. Yes, you can fire your big gun at other tanks. You can fire it at squads, knowing that it's got the bonus HE. You have the turret with the light AT gun if you need to shoot at some of those light desert vehicles or just put pins on heavier vehicles. But if you're facing infantry, just don't fire the light AT gun. Fire that coax MMG. And then, as if that wasn't good enough, you also have the bonus machine gun and the little tiny capula at the top that again is firing at yet another unit. So you can put pins on three separate units and you can, in, with some of these weapon systems, put some serious hurt on them as well. And that's for 210 points regular and it's a medium tank. So it's got some armor, a little bit of a chin to take a hit. Unfortunately though, this does come at a, at a cost. Um, it does have the easily catches fire rule, which means you're, if you get the fire on fire results. Uh, it is an extra D3 pins, which is usually really bad. I've had that happen to my Lee in the past and it's disappeared quickly, but it's also vulnerable, which means it's plus one penetrate uh, to hit on the side, which means someone can penetrate this from the side. If they're shooting, it's plus two, which can hurt. Uh, AT, AT rifles can't go through the side of this like they can through with the Stuart. However, 
almost any anti-tank element is going to probably cause this thing's problems. That said, I always point mine directly at the biggest gun and uh, have the 75 millimeter pointing at that. Meanwhile, have all the other turrets do its business. Just know, and I've played with a Lee many, many times over the year, you're probably not going to get cover, maybe ever, unless you are behind a hill. Because it is so damn tall that normally if you drive a smaller tank up next to a wall, you get the 50% rule and you get some hard cover. That's not going to be the case with this tank. It It is my fave. Um, any thoughts about this? I'm very happy that you brought up the M3 Lee, Brad. Uh, it's so goofy looking. Uh, mm-hmm. It is really fun to both play with and play against. I, I yeah. do love that you're mentioning this is one of those rare units that can independently target three different targets, dish out pins to three separate units all in one order die, which being mm-hmm. able to pin out your enemy like that, fire superiority, incredibly important uh, while you're playing bolt action. But let's also not forget, you can just turn all those guns onto one target also. If you've got that you know, German Panzer III looking right at you, you might mm-hmm. want to fire the medium AT and the light AT. And if they popped the top for a, a pencil mount, you might want to shoot your MMG at them too if they happen to be open topped at that moment. Exactly, right? Yeah, no, I, that is a very good point. And I have definitely doubled down with the big guns sometimes, uh, depending on what I'm facing. But yeah, more often than not, you're 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 spreading the love as far as pins on the battlefield. But yes, you you definitely, if you're in trouble, you can definitely uh, throw out a couple of hits and get you know get the hurt where you need to. But we've been talking vehicles, and of course, there are tons more that we could be talking about as far as the British goes. Um, they had so many different armored vehicles, transports, uh, you name it. Uh, and we'll talk about a couple of the transports in a sec. But let's talk more generally. If we're if we're adding to the gentleman's war box. I think one of the first things that you're going to want is more troops. Now, if you pick up just the generic box of 8th Army plastics, you will have all the models you need for your small teams, for your squads, and for probably your lieutenant. Again, it depends if you want to splash out and get a, a metal one. But you definitely do probably need more basic infantry if you are taking this from a combat patrol army to a larger 1,000 point force because bolt action is an infantry-based game. Most of the missions that we play in bolt action involve grabbing objectives and infantry are integral for that. So if you get that 8th Army plastic box, not the full army box that we were talking about earlier, just the plastics, you will have plenty of infantry models to configure how you like. You can even do some great conversions, tons of head swap opportunities in there. So you will will really have the ability to create a cool, iconic force that matches the desert and doesn't just look like the same two dudes reused again and again and again. If you want to run regular troops, you will definitely need those numbers. Veterans, you could probably get away with smaller squads. But if you're going inexperienced, you're going to need a lot more guys. I agree wholeheartedly. I think that unless you're going for like a fully mechanized 8th Army force, you're just going to mm-hmm. need more bodies. You get those 24 uh, to get you started with a Gentleman's War. 
You pick up another box of 8th Army Infantry, exactly like you said, Brad, that's an additional 30. And now you've got almost 60 infantry bodies. That's going to be more than enough to bring you to your 1,000-point force. You can build multiple squads, multiple weapons teams, your LT, a medic, maybe even a, uh, the free forward observer. You're going to need a model for him too. Uh, and it, it really is a great, great recommendation. If somebody said, I only have either the, the time, the capacity, whatever, to pick up one box in addition to a gentleman's war, just boom, grab another box of infantry, and you're going to be covered for quite a while. Exactly. Now, if you're running regular, I've heard a lot of people over the years talk about if you're running regular squads of eight or nine are often the numbers that you're probably going to want to be running on the tabletop. So you have because you're going to be taking damage more readily than with veteran troops, you do need a little bit more as far as numbers and squads. And so I've heard a lot of people say eight per squad. So if you're running five squads of eight, that's 40 guys. If you add in a few small teams and a lieutenant, we're up to about 50 guys. And so whenever I plan to paint a new army for bolt action, and it's not something very specific or veteran, I usually plan on at least 40 infantry. Now, you did mention the free artillery observer, which if you're using the regular basic British rules, they do get, and you can absolutely build out of these plastics. But I like to run the one of the variants out of the uh, campaign books where, because I'm always running Indian troops, they can replace that artillery observer uh, or and use the artillery observer, depending on which version and in which book. Yes, mm -hmm, I have read mm -hmm. the FAQ. Um, yep, yep. With 10 regular riflemen. So for me, that is what I'm going to want. In fact, spoilers... I am actually, I have the contents of the British side of A Gentleman's War, and I am going to buy the plastic box knowing that I will then have my 10 additional free British guys. I'll have my 40, um, you know, four squads, uh, sorry, five squads of eight guys. So I'll have my six squads all in plastic, all ready to go right in front of me. I'll have my small teams. And... Once I start getting into the Indian carriers and the universal carriers and some of the other vehicles and weapons crew, you know, 25 pounder, et cetera, et cetera, I'm going to have bonus heads left over from those that I can use to diversify and individualize my, my crewmen to make them match the rest of my force. So they're all Indian, if that makes sense. So I think that just adding that extra box of 8th Army gives you so many options. And you can do the same thing with Scottish as well with the different hats and the different uh, helmet options. That There's just so much to like with adding that plastic box. Now, obviously, vehicles, as we said, are a big part of this. Warlord makes a wonderful range of trucks. There's the three-ton truck that they make. It's in resin. They also do... Um, the the 15 the smaller 15 bedford um that they the mentioned C, the cw PC. cwp yes yeah, cw that's it um both of which are great for the desert war and i've i've literally put both in my armies before they're wonderful models i have another one on my shelf behind me right now um but one of those things we did mention the box comes with a light uh light mortar i personally do like a medium mortar because medium mortars are uh, really effective when dealing with artillery pieces 
or if you are desperate to get rid of a vehicle and you want to put pins on it, they can really be good for digging out dug in troops and guns that are otherwise a pain in the neck to deal with. You just have to be careful of snipers. Um, and Warlord does make a wonderful medium mortar metal uh, model that it just be a wonderful add to this. Any other general units that you think we should get into before I get into transports? No, I think uh, medium mortar, really nice unit to always have in your back pocket. I think pretty much every bolt action force I've collected has a medium mortar. Uh, the mm -hmm. one thing that I'll say, though, is if you want to run a really aggressive sort of rush style list, that light mm -hmm. mortar, the light mortar may be the choice you want because it's not fixed. Unlike a medium yeah. and heavy mortar, you can fire it on the move. But again, really nice having a solid base of fire. So a light howitzer, medium mortar, those are good to have in your back lines. But man, if you just want to go pedal to the metal, a light mortar mm -hmm. may be the one you're looking for. And if you're collecting an additional 8th Army Infantry box, you're going to have, what, five more light mortars from the infantry yep. sprues. So you won't have a problem getting those small teams that you mentioned. No, exactly. You mentioned a smaller Rush-style list. Now, the British have one of what is arguably one of the best armored carriers in the game, which is the Universal Carrier. They're a fantastic addition to this box because universal slash brand carriers slash mortar carriers slash all those carriers were used in the desert. And they are wonderful because they only have a capacity of five troops. So if you wanted to run uh, a bunch of small, could be veteran, could be regular squads in universal carriers, you would definitely be able to do that using the contents of a gentleman's war and universal carriers are great because they have the forward LMG. You can pay to put a second Pinto one on there. And I was talking about before having a weapon system in the M3 Lee that was able to fire up multiple squads and put pins in different places. The universal carrier does the same. If, if you put the machine gun on the front and you have the Pinto mount, then you can fire at two different squads if you have guys in the transport. And that allows you to, again, put pins out to prevent your opponent from shooting at you effectively. There is, in addition to that, and this is my personal rabbit hole, given that you can run Indian forces so easily, given the 8th Army box and sprues that are in this box, it, it is important that I think we should mention that the Indian pattern carriers exist as well. Now, they're most often thought about as armored cars. Now, obviously, you already have the Humber in this box. So why would you do that? Well, if you read the universal or the Bren carrier or the universal carrier entry in the, the Armies of Britain book, there is a sentence right above the unit entry that says that you can use the Indian pattern carriers in as regular carriers, except they lose the turn on the spot rule and they lose tracked. What they gain are wheels. So if you want a faster version of the universal carrier that zips around and can put pins in multiple places, this is the vehicle for you. In fact, I built an entire army around these in the past, did very well with it. Um, I, I sadly sold that army on, and I'm actually looking at buying it again. And Warlord makes some beautiful India pattern carrier models. So I, it's right there. 
Now, if you are going down the Indian rabbit hole, again, I did mention that getting the plastic box adds those additional troops. So you are able to get that 10 free regular squad. One other thing to mention, and it is sort of a passing mention, but it's such a cool weapon system and Warlord makes it. So I think it's definitely worth talking about is the Blacker Bombard. Now it's a spigot launcher. Now it was traditionally used, 22,000 of these things were made, but very few of them made it out off British soil because they were traditionally planned. Uh, people were planning to use them for home guard. However, if I'm getting my history right, and please message the page if I'm not, uh, Blackguard, the guy who invented this thing, um, was an officer who was associated with Indian troops. And so Blackguard bombards were used by some Indian troops throughout World War II, and they're not entirely sure, but they could have been used in the Desert War by Indian troops. When I ran Indian carrier list in the past i did use a blacker bombard it is like a direct fire medium mortar it's a d6 he weapon and it's 40 points regular it is wonderful and warlord does make it but it has the traditional british crew but again if you have these plastics it's a simple head swap and all of a sudden you have indian crude blacker bombards to add to your force it's themed. It's a great weapon system on the table, and it really matches. I, I This is an army that is a, a passion project for me. I love it, and so I can talk about these all day. Andrew, are you digging what I'm laying down here? Do you think this is a good idea? I'm sort of at a loss for words just sitting here listening to your sheer enthusiasm for an Indian army in the desert. Uh, I remember years ago where I discovered what is essentially a footnote in the Armies of Great Britain book, that sentence that you're talking about in the mm -hmm. universal carrier entry. And it just sort of says in one sentence, oh, by the way, you can run these as India pattern carriers and they get wheels instead of treads. You're like, wait a minute, I can still do five men, double LMGs, one pintle, one hull, and now they can just fly up roads, fly across the table, get right in your opponent's face. If you want that Rush-style mechanized army, India pattern carriers are almost certainly the route to go. And then you've mm -hmm. got all these, all these additional little thematic elements. You're going to have those extra heads that come in that 8th Army infantry box. It's so cool. It's so cool. It's so unique. I love it. Yeah. And uh, if you are looking at the most recent FAQs for you more experienced players... You'll know that uh, Indian armies are wonderful at the moment. And I'll leave it at that. I'll let you go dig that one out because that is a rabbit hole we don't need to go into because we are going to shift gears and switch to the other side of the coin. And we're going to talk Africa Corps. Now, again, adding a box of Africa Corps infantry would really allow you to bulk this out. But before we get to that and the rest of the options, let's talk tanks because there are some very iconic ones and i think you're going to hit the big kahuna right now yeah let's let's just get this right out of the way it is the panzer three i mean mm -hmm. if you're looking for an africa core armored vehicle is there really any other option 
Well, I mean, there's actually tons and tons of other. I was going to say, no, there are so there are so many other fantastic options to choose. But uh, we would be remiss, Brad, if we did not touch on the Panzer. Yeah. Three. So this one in particular, it's the the H and J model. It's a medium tank. It's 200 points regular, and it's coming in with your medium AT gun, a coax MMG, and your Hall MMG. Both of those mm-hmm. MNGs have your Hitler's buzzsaw special rule, so they're throwing out the extra shots. And this is interesting, when you're using this specific Panzer III, it has rear inf- reinforced rear armor. So mm-hmm. if you're unlucky enough that your opponent's got that rear shot lined up, it's only going to be a plus one instead of plus two to pen, which is sort of like a get-out-of-jail-free car card in a way. Uh, but. Is. If your opponent does have a rear shot lined up with an anti-tank weapon, you're already sort of in a bad spot. So you, you might need to, to shift around pretty quickly to get yourself out of there. But it it is a really, I don't know, it's, it's kind of unoriginal to have a Panzer III in an Africa Corps force. But mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a solid all-rounder. You, can't, you couldn't go wrong with this choice. You couldn't, especially given some of the items in the most recent FAQ. Again, I'll leave you to look that up, boys and girls. Um, but if we look at the Panzer IV, I know a lot of people look at Panzer IVs because they are the the cheapest way to get Tiger Fear on the tabletop. That is correct. Correct. But it's not that one. <laughs> correct. It is a different Panzer IV. If we look at the B, C, D, E, F, some of those earlier war versions did appear in the desert. Um, and they are the short barrel Panzer IVs. You would know them because they don't have the big up armored turrets. They they just have the standard turret, and they have the much shorter barrel because they have the light howitzer. For 175 points regular, you get a light howitzer with a coax MMG in the turret, and then you get a forward-facing hull-mounted MMG on a medium tank. I ran one of these in my DAC, and I loved it. It was a wonderful little support tank that had the armor that was harder uh, for my opponents to get rid of, had a nice little chin that I could put out there and have my opponents punch that. Meanwhile, my horches were zipping around getting to where I wanted them to be. It's a wonderful little tank. And I know I'm talking a Panzer IV little tank. It's not actually that little, but it is uh, cheaper than some of of the AT gun Panzer threes because howitzers are cheaper in the game. Yeah, that's a but, really interesting point, Brad, that right here you have a Armor 9 fully mm-hmm. enclosed tank that's under 200 points. Right. You just really rarely see that. So if you're taking one of these, yes, you're making a big bit of a trade-off that my tank is not going to be my AT asset, so you better be having some AT options somewhere else. You can roll this thing forward, and Armor 9, you can take a lot of punishment. Exactly. Now, in the desert... Panzer ones, Panzer twos, all sorts of vehicles were running around, um, and it. Sh- and one should mention the the big cat, the Tiger one, is in the desert. Uh, yes, it was there. In fact, the one that was in, that is currently at Bovington Tank Museum was captured in the Desert War. However, look, if you're looking to make a thousand points quickly, if using a gentleman's war's contents, uh, a Tiger one would be a very Interesting way of doing it because it's almost 400 points by itself. So you would need to add very little to that. However, to be honest, it may not be the best way for a beginner player to pick it up, given that you would have so few order dice that you might struggle on the tabletop. 
And I am someone who loves a Tiger one, having taken them in many Gumbies over the years at events that I've run. Um, when we have an odd number of player, the tournament organizer, if he plays games, um, knowing that he's not going to win anything at his own event, often takes tool, you know, powered down armies. Um, I always take a Tiger because it means that I have fewer order dice and games finish faster. They are incredibly durable and their guns are unholy the damage they do to your opponent. But they can be frustrating to use. This may not be the best way to start. That said, they are an option and they're fun. But if we're talking Desert War, one of the coolest parts about Desert War, particularly with the German side, is how many self-propelled guns they had, open-top vehicles with big guns thrown on the top, just driving around the desert. You have the dudes with their goggles, boxes and you know stowage everywhere. Andrew, I'm actually stealing what you told me earlier before we started <laughs> in that description. I am sorry. But I, I feel the exact same way. It, these are wonderful additions to that box and really allow you to do, have some great modeling opportunities to have a cool looking force. Um, let's talk about some of those self-propelled guns. What are some of your faves, my man? Yeah, Brad, without question, we could fill an entire episode just talking about desert self-propelled guns mm -hmm. because you're absolutely right. They're open top, so you've got to put the crew in there. You want the crew to have the sun helmets, the goggles, the bandanas covering up their mm -hmm. faces dust throw stowage on all of it maybe some camo netting it's it's incredible it's incredible but yes you have several several really fun spg options for your germans i'm going to go a little quickly here but martyr three for your heavy anti-tank role uh, it is open top mm -hmm. it is armor seven but it has a big old gun on it so just mm -hmm. keep it sort of hull down behind a hill behind a building something and then creep around when you need to if you want to go sort of the opposite end of the spectrum, much lighter, much faster, but you have both the Opal Blitz, which is a truck, and the SDKFZ 10-4, both mm -hmm. of those with the FLAC 38 on the back. This is yeah. a 360-degree light autocannon. I think people often overlook autocannons, but they give mm -hmm. you two shots every time it fires. It's two shots. Each shot mm -hmm. is pen of plus two if you're going a, a P, sorry, uh, AT shells, or mm -hmm. you can fire it twice as a one-inch template. These weapons platforms, they are 55 points and 50 points, respectively. Now, yeah. to, to be fair, they're soft skins, so you can die to a rifle shot. But when it's only the cost of a five-man regular infantry squad, you can yeah. sort of play a little loose with it because you're not going to lose a bunch, uh, a bunch of your army if that thing goes down. So again, these are just so many different options. Heavy AT, no AT, light auto cannons, all on the back of trucks and half tracks and little uh, bespoke armored chassis. And you just, you love to see them. All you got to do is go to the Warlord website and click Germany and start to just scroll through the pages and look for those open top vehicles with the big guns on the back and then just cross-reference what is just go to any of the selectors in the back of the Jeremy book see if any of those were in the desert and a lot of them are yep. and man there's some weird looking vehicles that look so cool and that you generally don't see on the bolt action tabletop that are effective and 
would make your force stand out and look different. So cool, right? Yeah. And and speaking of that, I, I know there's a couple of these specific ones that you mm-hmm. wanted to touch on. These are some of the more famous ones. So why, why don't you take that away? Well, the first one is built on the back of a captured French artillery tractor. And of course, I'm talking about the Lorraine Schlepper. Now, this thing has a medium howitzer. It's 115 points regular, armor seven, open topped, but you can go for the option of replacing its gun with a heavy howitzer for plus 40 points. They are ridiculous. Uh, I, I took one in my deck at different points in time, and they are just so much fun. Again, they're tall, yes. but they're surprisingly small given that they're built on an artillery tractor. And I'm always surprised when I see them on the tabletop at how small they are, despite being tall, if that makes sense. So they're weirdly able to get cover in ways that a lot of people don't always expect. But just having a howitzer, medium or heavy, that can redeploy and move, because oftentimes opponents will avoid those big guns. But when those big guns can come around a corner, your opponent can't avoid them. Uh, and if you get yourself into some good cover, they can be a pain to get rid of. I absolutely love the, the all versions of the Lorraine Schlepper. They're cheap, they're effective, and they're a lot of fun. The SIG 33 Panzerkampf Wagon 2, which is a very long way of saying something that you might recognize as a bison. It also exists. It is 185 points regular, heavy howitzer with an MMG, but it can only fire one at a time. Um, It's a light tank, so it's armor eight, which is slightly higher than the Schlepper. It is also open topped. And in my opinion, it looks cooler. It's it's lower to the ground, uh, but it's a lot wider. So it's sort of the opposite of the Schlepper. It's one of those things that you don't really see in other places. And both are horrifyingly effective with those heavy howitzers. Warlord makes an awesome Lorraine Schlepper that I absolutely love. And again, I highly recommend uh, giving these a go at some point. They're not always conventionally wise to take. And I know that we've talked a lot about open top vehicles in this. Open top vehicles are are soft skins, I should say. Um, Soft skins are remarkably durable um, because they roll on the vehicle damage chart. And open top vehicles, people often poo-poo them because... If you hit them, regardless of the armor penetration, you can put a pin on that unit. Um, but guys, turns out rally's a thing in this edition, and if you're in cover, they can't hit you in the first place. So uh, open-topped and soft skin vehicles uh, are wonderful, typically because they're cheaper than their fully enclosed brethren, uh, and they can be really effective, and they look, in my opinion, often cooler. Um, than some of the enclosed vehicles because you have some really cool modeling opportunities. And the Desert War is literally the spot that you probably want this the most. At least that's my opinion. No, Um, I I agree. So many of those are really iconic, really unique. But at the same time, when you put them on the table with DAC infantry, they look exactly at home. They look like they belong. I can't believe you think that the Bison looks cooler than the Schlepper which is the most top-heavy, sort of cumbersome-looking vehicle imaginable. Uh, and I would never besmirch anybody for bringing a Lorraine Schlepper with them. You just got to be careful, because these are all glass cannons. 
Uh, mm-hmm. They will they will attract a lot of fire because they have mm-hmm. big scary guns on them. Uh, but it, it's just more options that folks need to consider because I think, as you said, Brad, they're often overlooked. Well, the wonderful thing, particularly about the Schlepper, is if you're going with the medium howitzer version, it's 115 points, which in a thousand points is a tenth of your force. Yeah. And if you are literally putting it there, if it isn't your linchpin of your army, if it is literally there to attract all the attention, all of a sudden the rest of your army can get away with murder, which is what I did with my DAC. I had usually had one tank that was come look at me, everyone. It was a giant target and I would stick it in hardcover and make it a pain in the neck. So my opponent had to deal with it, but in dealing with it, the rest of my force got to do what it wanted, which often relied on the next thing I'm talking about transports. Um, because the DAC in particular were known for being the Africa Corps were known for being, uh, mobile. So we're talking a lot of trucks. We're talking about horses. Uh, warlord makes, a wonderful Opal Blitz kit, um, which ironically, did you know, is their best-selling I did kit not know that. Comp. Yep, and it's that Opal Blitz. And so that Opal Blitz makes a wonderful truck. I've made several of them. Big fan. Warlord also has a variety of resin transports, so you can mix it up because one of the things about the Africa Corps is they often did kind of look like a combination of vehicles that were sort of thrown together um, because they were constantly on the move and they were grabbing what they could as they went. But the Horch is absolutely one of those vehicles that you would probably want to put in there if you're looking for iconic vehicles. It's a transport that carries six people, not 10. It doesn't have the machine gun option on it, but man, it's cheap, it's cheerful. You can get six troops where you want to go. I'm a huge fan of the Horch and Warlord makes brilliant ones They are resin, so they go together really well. Another Warlord particular kit that I think needs to be talked about, the machine gun motorbike is one of the coolest armored cars in the game. 40 points, machine gun, can zip around, go anywhere. Of course, you already have the triple two in the box. So unless you're running two platoons, you're probably not going to be taking the machine gun motorbike here unless you're running the Maz. Kretsuchin. Ah, I always get that wrong. Um, Andrew, talk to me about the motorcycle, guys, and please pronounce it properly because I just tripped on my tongue. <laughs> I believe it's Kretsuchin. Correct. I, I think that's the name. So this is, this is infantry squads that have the option to go into battle uh, mounted on motorbikes, similar to cavalry. If they dismount, or I should say when they dismount, they can't get back on, but... Mm-hmm. For those opening turns or for maybe coming out of reserve or first wave, they have incredible unmatched speed. And mm-hmm. I, I'm just sort of like picturing all, the, all these photos that I've seen, these movies that I've seen, but Africa Corps troops riding on motorcycles, often with two or three men per motorcycle, often with a sidecar. Mm-hmm. It's very like Indiana Jones-esque. They got the helmets on, they got the riding goggles, the gloves, the handkerchiefs. You can make an incredibly striking army with a unit of two, a unit or two of these. You yeah. if you're running up with a couple units of Kretschutzen and a couple units inside of trucks, I mean you're gonna be doing Blitzkrieg in the desert. Just the sheer speed that you will have in your army is gonna be something that your opponent will really have to worry about. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And as you said, that mobility to be able to zip across the board, because they're also veteran troops, you're able to zip them across the board and jump out er in the early stages of the game to get to those objectives. And then your opponents have to dig you out. And especially if you're loading them up with um, you know, submachine guns or LMGs. You can do this, of course, with uh, veterans. You can give. You can have pioneers with a flamethrower, um, yep. not on the on the motorcycle troops, but on veteran troops and trucks, I should say, or horses. You can really get across the board and get to where you need to go, or do the old refused flank where your opponent thinks you're coming in on one side, but you have the mobility to redeploy half your army. So all of a sudden, you're smashing half of their army with your entire army and they have to they have to compensate for that redeploy their forces and in the process you have destroyed or has heavily damaged one part of their army and then you have the majority of your force to then roll over what's coming in the other direction it's one of my favorite tactics in the game and it works so well with this particular army it's just it's great Let's talk about what else you might add. Obviously, we talked about more bodies. Um, if you just get the generic Africa Corps plastic infantry box, again, you'll get the bodies that you need to add to the ones that are already in the box. And we already talked about those options. But again, you know, some sort of indirect firing option might be nice. You could add a medium mortar. We talked about those a minute ago. The Germans have some great light guns, maybe a light howitzer, maybe a pack 36 slash 38 if you want a, an AT gun of some kind. I've run a pack 36 and a pack 38 in my DAC, depending on what I was putting for my vehicles. Because I often felt like I needed something with an AT kick, if I was running the Panzer IV with the light howitzer, I often felt like I have the autocannon on the triple two. I have the howitzer on the Panzer IV. I feel like I need a little AT zip in my force in case my opponent has something. Uh, and so that Pack 36, just that light AT gun or the medium AT gun definitely does that while still being cheap and cheerful. Definitely a way to go. But if we're, if we're talking desert war though, I feel yeah. like you might have a, a slightly bigger ace up your sleeve andrew why don't why don't we talk about something else a little bigger here i mean i need to come clean though brad because everything you just said in describing your force makes perfect sense you got your howitzers you got your at everything is lining up but we're talking desert warfare we're talking africa core we have to go and recommend the 88 millimeter flak mm -hmm. 36 dual purpose aa AT gun, aka the king of the battlefield, aka the 88. Any other mm -hmm. option? Any other option? You're you're just pretending. Um, I have an 88 in my Kriegsmarine force. I use it to represent the deck gun from the U-boat that they've all disembarked from. I really enjoy the look on my opponent's face when I deploy my 88 because no one ever ever expects to see an 88. When that thing mm -hmm. fires its super heavy AT gun, like it's incredible. And I guarantee you, you will miss. I guarantee you, you will get ranged in on immediately by like a medium mortar. It's going to kill all seven crew. You're never going to get to fire it again. But mm -hmm. that's what rule of cool and being a king of theme is all about. Uh, Warlord makes an incredible 88 kit. They have one with Africa Corps crew. They're all mm -hmm. kitted out in their desert gear. 
it is a bit of a suboptimal choice, but I guarantee you, you will have fun using an 88. I was going to say, uh, people often say they're too expensive for what they do, but I have never, ever, ever faced one and not gone, oh, geez, that's a super heavy AT gun. Yes. Uh, there's nothing safe. There's nowhere safe on this tabletop. No. Because it can still be fired as a big HE weapon, and it just puts holes in everything it shoots at. Um, and you wise. can give it a spotter. It can take a spotter yep. to then be fired indirectly. And as you said, your opponent has to deal with it. So yeah. yes, it is a relatively large-ish chunk of points, but it's such a mm. distraction. It's such a bullet magnet. So then your motorcycle troops, your guys and your horses, your assault pioneers just waiting in outflank to come spinning around at the top of turn three, you, you're forcing your opponent to deal with something that you're okay with losing. Exactly right. Well, I feel like we've we've touched a lot of bases here. I think we've given folks some ideas on where they can go, but I think that there's two books besides the obvious armies of Great Britain and obviously armies of Germany that people can visit. In fact, now that I say two, it's actually three. We have Duel in the Sun, which is one of the early campaign books it does have a lot of great desert war scenarios and it has some additional units and um, some selectors that allow you to take some interesting forces. The one that I think more people would get more out of possibly would be the Western desert book. It's got more selectors, more national rules, more army lists, uh, more scenarios. It's got rules for you to play the LRDG. Yes, you can play them out of the British book, but this gives you additional rules. It's got lots of interesting rules for the Italians, particularly if you want to do the Italian version of that, which is one of my personal favorites, the Sahariana, um, the auto Sahariana, I should say. And Warlord makes a wonderful Sahariana kit to go with that. Plus the new RDT medals that are just coming out go really well with that as well. And of course, we should mention Soft Underbelly, one of the newest books out by Warlord for bolt action because there are the national rules that you were talking about earlier for both the Indians and the Scots. And uh, again, there's a lot of content in there that is desert war applicable. Am I missing anything? Do you recommend those books as well? What are your thoughts? I recommend all three. They are all incredible. Uh, sort of a byproduct of the, the length of the publishing process and how long uh, this beloved game has been around. Duel in the Sun, that's your earliest desert book. It has sort of the proto-Indian army rules in there. A lot of Italian, very interesting Italian colonial rules are in there and just a bunch of great scenarios. If you want a bit more meat, campaign the Western Desert. Everything yeah. you touched on, absolutely true. It's got more updated Indian army rules. It's got rules for running Maori troops, New Zealand troops, South Africans are in there, a bunch of different DAC uh, theater selectors, different mm -hmm. uh, DAC units as well. Both special forces on both sides. You got your German special forces, Italian special forces, British special forces. If you are going, you know, really trying to immerse yourself in some North Africa warfare, Campaign the Western Desert is the one for you. And then if you want to just keep building on that same theme, theme going farther into World War II, Campaign Italy Soft Underbelly. Very applicable. A lot of the units, a lot of the theme in there, very applicable to 
North African and Mediterranean battles. Exactly. And it should also be mentioned that these aren't the only forces that fought, obviously, in the desert. There's French Foreign Legion. We have Vichy forces for the French, if we're talking Axis. We also have the Italians, obviously. On the other side, the U.S., um, there are just so many different ways that you can come at the desert war. I know a lot of people talk about the U.S. and the desert as sort of a non-entity because the U.S. didn't sort of find their sea legs, so to speak, as far as fighting in World War II necessarily um, until a little bit later on where they were still figuring out how to um, figure out their tactics and while their leadership was getting the necessary experience to move forward. But that can lead to running a U.S. army that is really interesting and different from a lot of the other forces that, or different ways that you can run the U.S. in the war, particularly because you're going to be largely relying on inexperienced troops. And I know that some people don't like inexperience because of that minus one to hit, but turns out if you are running U.S. Army with mm -hmm. inexperienced troops, because they have the fire and maneuver rule, all of a sudden they have the exact same to hit roll as regular troops that are moving because they don't suffer the minus one to shoot. They just have the minus one for inexperienced. So you're hitting on sixes in a lot of cases instead of sixes on sixes, which statistically makes a huge difference. And um, yeah, I've, I've run that army a couple of times and it is really, really fun. And again, not an army you see that often on the tabletop. Again, so many modeling opportunities for the desert. And I think that a gentleman's war is the perfect way in. Andrew, thank you for joining us. I know we've gone a little bit over time, but there's just so much cool, fun uh, listing slash modeling opportunities for the Desert War. And I'm so glad that you were here to join us. Please come back again to talk uh, about some of the other great things that Warlord does in the future. Brad, I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. And it bears repeating, I do think A Gentleman's War is the best two-player starter set Warlord has ever produced. Sign that, seal it, stamp of approval. You cannot go wrong with this box. You literally took the words out of my mouth, so I'm going to skip <laughs> to the next part. If you enjoyed this episode or you have an idea for a future episode of the Warlord Games official podcast, please go to the Cast Dice Facebook page. That's C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. Uh, if you message that page, Cast Dice is the podcast network that this podcast appears on. Uh, my name is Brad. Hi. Uh, I will be the one answering that email uh, or that message, I should say. And all requests are taken seriously. This was a request by uh, a listener. If you have any ideas moving forward, please message us. I know I've had a couple recently, and yes, I will get to those. Um, we always take them seriously, and we try and get the good guests on so we can talk about the things that you want us to for this show. I guess that just means it's time to say goodnight, guys. Stay safe out there, and we will talk to you next time on the official Warlord Games podcast. Thank <laughs> you.